Hello, and welcome to UX Soup, a short-form podcast that looks beyond the buzzwords to give you the latest developments impacting the user experience of personal devices and services in the home, in the car, and on the go. As always, UX Soup is presented by Strategy Analytics, a global research and consulting firm providing our global clients insights, analysis, and expertise. For the first time in a while, we are all back as a group. <laughs> so I am Chris Schreiner, joined by Lisa Cooper. Hello. And Derek Vita. Hello. It's good to have all of us back. It's good to see everybody. Missed you both. Aww. Today, we're going to be talking about digital companions and the evolution from digital assistants to digital companions. So I've been in speech recognition and voice interfaces for 20 years now. And back when I started, it was the rudimentary days where if you wanted to dial a phone number, you would say one, one, seven, seven, enter a digit one at a time and have it repeated back to you in a agonizingly long. I remember those days. We've come a long way in the past 20 years, and the next evolution is going to be moving more from a digital assistant like we have today with Siri and Alexa, more toward a digital companion. And of course, within our UX innovation practice, we've been conducting research on digital assistants and speech interfaces for many years, whether it's in the car or whether it's in the home or on smartphones. The car has always been one of the prime use cases for speech due to safety reasons, but digital assistants there seem to have lagged behind that and other consumer electronics. Absolutely. One of the things we found in our research is that as consumers establish these expectations outside the car with these voice assistants that they're using on their home-based devices or on mobile devices from you know Amazon, uh, Baidu, Google, Apple, and so on and so forth, they bring those expectations into the car and the difference between what they're experiencing with these immersive assistants outside the car and these often very rudimentary voice controls in the car is very large. It's to a point now where when we ask consumers about their interest in all these different voice assistants in the car, uh, especially one from a trusted home or mobile device versus one from their automaker, for example, you know, we're seeing more of these bespoke assistants like, hey, Mercedes, make their way into the car. Automakers are barely on the radar. So Amazon and Google and Apple and Baidu have these very big, compelling, immersive experiences. And that's what consumers think of now and trust when it comes to voice experiences. And when they go into the car, that's not what they're getting. Why is that, Derek? There's a number of reasons for that, Lisa. One of them is that just the hardware that's being used in the car is not the same as what they're experiencing outside the car. So you have these multiple microphone arrays on home devices, for example, whereas in the car, it's just a single cheap microphone that's located in an, in an A pillar, for example, that's going to get a lot of vibration, a lot of road noise, things like that. Right. The other reason is that in a home and mobile device, consumers are a little bit more immersed in it and they're more likely to follow up with these rich utterances or provide these very rich utterances in the car, their attention is elsewhere. And so the utterance is going to be, you know, call mom, call Dave, things like that. And the third factor to that is just the product development cycle. In a car, specs are frozen three years before the car hits the dealership. And you've got Amazon, Google, Apple that are updating their digital assistants constantly. And cars haven't been able to do that. They're going to be starting too soon. 
but they thus far they haven't. Well, I can say that whether I've spoken to a car or to Alexa, none of them have understood me. <laughs> so it's not made any difference for me. It's that hybrid accent. <laughs> so while the car is farthest from being a digital companion at this point, and sometimes barely it's even an assistant, there are some areas where speech has been more of a companion and sometimes by accident. And I know in recent podcast episodes, we talked to Martin Ralph from Guide Dogs from the Blind, and he talked a bit about speech interfaces and how they've been helpful to people that have sight loss. He had a lot to say about that. He had a lot to say about Alexa, how that is the most accessible product on the planet. For people with sight loss, having a speech interface is very important. Um, whether they're setting up devices in the home or whether they just want to do something simple like play music or have an alert or many of them will use it just to set a timer for cooking rather than fiddle around with their appliance trying to figure that out. So it can be very, very helpful for people with sight loss as well as elderly people who don't have the mobility to get up and do certain things. For those populations, it's closer to a companion than it is for anything else. Right, right. But what would you think is a companion versus an assistant? How would you define that? I think there are a few aspects that go into being a companion. First is being able to actually have a conversation with it, a natural conversation. So back and forth, not having to use a wake word every time. And of course, Alexa and Google have implemented those. But as we've seen, they've been still in beta version they're hidden behind settings menus that nobody goes to find. Amazon recently announced that Alexa will be more conversational. And not only that, will be able to be conversational with multiple users at once. I think that would be a great thing. So right now, both Derek and I are working on reports about accessibility. And from the interviews that I've done, when you have sight loss and you're using your Amazon Echo or, or some device like that, they often have to say, and the, these were these are real um, words that they have to say so that the, it doesn't constantly wake up when they don't want it to, they often will refer to it as a lady or even a <laughs> so it doesn't wake up. Uh, I might bleep that out for... <laughs> okay. So they often have to use these codes to refer to Alexa so that it doesn't constantly wake up. And even during the interviews that I was having and we were speaking about what they use and why they use it, if they even mentioned anything remotely similar to Alexa, you would start hearing Alexa speaking behind them and they go, oh no, it's going off again. So I think being able to have natural conversations is one element that brings us to a companion. Another one is being able to identify and properly respond to and exhibit emotions. Is that something people want? That's exactly what I was winding up to ask. What, what is the use case for emotions in any sort of HMI? A use case for that would be in chatbots for mental health counseling, mental health companions. So there are apps out there that try to be a companion and try and build an emotional connection with the user in order to get them to open up a bit that they might not do to another being. The main use case that I see for emotion specifically that is not necessarily captured by some other biometric is advertising. So just measuring basic sentiment for advertising. Is this something that consumers want? 
It's probably what they'll get. So obviously there's a use case there for businesses to use it. For sure. But what about end users? I think it comes down to how deeply involved in the emotion you want to get. So at just a very high level, having some basic emotional awareness for the companion to know when the user might be frustrated or when the user might be happy, then the tone can change. And I don't think we want to be getting to the point like in the, in the movie Her with Joaquin Phoenix, where it is really, truly lifelike because we get into too many difficulties. Emotions are so emotionally charged that it's very easy for dissatisfaction, anger, frustration, a lot of negative emotions to rise. One of the things that might potentially limit the advance of digital companions is the fact that humans don't necessarily want to be controlled. They want to have things suggested to them, but not necessarily control them. Because as Lisa was talking about with uh, some of our recent interviews with folks with sight loss for our accessibility research, they get frustrated very easily and they're likely to respond in a, a very harsh manner. A few years back, I spoke with a voice scientist with a major automaker who told me that in her own research, consumers are much more likely to quote unquote abuse a voice companion that has certain demographic aspects to it. For example, a female voice companion, but they're more likely to obey or be polite to a male voice companion. How can we program into a voice assistant some pushback against some of these biases, for lack of a better term? Well, not making the gender of the voice assistant female all the time would be good. Typically, a voice assistant, for example, like Alexa Cortana, uh, there is no male version of that assistant. They come in the female version only. And that female version is very polite and very pleasant and very accommodating and does all the things that an old-fashioned sort of secretary would do, you know. Be your assistant and make things run well. Other systems such as Siri and Google do allow you to switch to a male uh, voice. But even so, uh, you look at the names of some of these, such as Cortana. Cortana actually came from the game Halo, uh, where the character Cortana was, uh, she was very sexualized, transparent lady that was a clone of a brain scientist or something like that. It just shows that there's some sort of disconnect between how many women are actually developing these systems versus men. Also, there's the issue of what are we teaching children when they never have to say please or thank you to Alexa. Do this, do that, or they can abuse them. And we recently published a report on chatbots that looked at some of those emotional elements and what is the best way to respond when someone is speaking in an abusive manner to the assistant. So as we continue the evolution toward a digital companion, which verticals do you think are best suited for them and which use cases? I think for automotive, for now, we just need to work on better voice controls, period. And then we can work on improving the emotional connection, quote unquote, that a user might have uh, in automotive. But there's just way too many existing challenges there right now that are more lower level that we need to overcome. I find this hard because I'm very biased. I've had such bad luck with digital assistants. I suppose it is the most useful in the home mainly because of those people, those vulnerable populations, people with sight loss and elderly people. It, it's, a, it's a lifeline for them. 
All right. Well, it's time for condensed soup. Yes. Condensed soup. In this round of condensed soup, let's go around and give our best or worst voice assistant experience. So I have a Google Mini that uh, has the Google Assistant on board. I use it for a few specific things like kitchen timers, things like that. I, I'm not a power user in any way. I have noticed that it's gotten way more chatty. <laughs> so it won't necessarily, I, I would ask for the time or for a sports score and it jumps in after giving the answer with about a 15 second, by the way, here are some other commands that you can use and things that you can try and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> it's to a point now where we moved house recently. I had some minor trouble setting it up where it wouldn't connect and I'm still just letting it sit there. Uh, I'm not bothering finishing setup for the new house. I will say that if someone out there makes a dedicated kitchen timer that's not connected to the internet, please contact us at uxsoup, all one word, <laughs> at strategyanalytics.com so that I can give you money for one. <laughs> for me, it would be Apple TV. I so badly want to be able to speak what I want to search for. But I can't because it doesn't understand me every single time. And every single time I have to either type in my password or type in the name of the thing that I wish to search. And it's a huge pain. I don't even like controlling Apple TV. And I just hand it over to somebody else to do because I, I'm not able to do that. And it's just a pain having to do that. It takes too long. The thumb swipe on the remote? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. My best and worst are the same. So I have an Android phone. I find Google Assistant to be very accurate and very good at being able to interpret my commands, dictate my text messages, everything. I find it very useful. I find it to be pretty far from a digital companion just because it's so utilitarian. What bothers me about it is I have Android Auto in my car, so Google Assistant is available. And there are random songs where suddenly <laughs> it breaks in thinking that somebody said, okay, Google, even though there is no song that I have in my playlist anywhere <laughs> that has anything remotely close to saying, okay, Google. But at least a couple of times a month, I'll be in the middle of a song, driving down the highway, and the song stops, and the voice assistant breaks in. And that is utterly annoying. Terrible. Well, if you'd like to chat more about Digital Companions, Send us any questions you may have about them. Or if you just want to reach out and say hi, you can email us at uxsoup, all one word, at strategyanalytics.com. The show notes on our podcast website, ux-soup.com, has links to our recent research on digital assistants and links to other research that we've conducted. There you can also connect with each of us on LinkedIn. A reminder that UX Soup is sponsored, as always, by Strategy Analytics. Check out the latest user-focused insights on mobile automotive and the smart home by visiting strategyanalytics.com. Thanks for joining us. Bye for now.